Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. moment for me where I began early on to understand what narcissism is on this scale was, uh, you know, more or less the first time I walked into his study in Ravello. And on the wall behind his desk were 25, 30 framed photographs or etchings or drawings of himself on the cover of various magazines, Time and Newsweek, The Spectator, The Listener, uh, you name it. Gore was uh, graced the covers of dozens and dozens of magazines. And I said, Gore, what's with all of these framed pictures of yourself on the wall? And he said, they're to remind me every morning when I come to my desk who I am. And I found that rather, rather bone-chilling. And um, I began to, in fact, read about narcissism and study it. And uh, especially writing this book, I wanted to have an understanding of narcissism in its most clinical form. And it's really an empty self where the person has a huge hurt, which becomes a hole that they can't fill. And so they need endless reflection, narcissists do, from the world to see who they are. And so, you know, they can't see themselves. They have to have all these mirrors that are reflecting themselves back to themselves. I mean, this is true of every normal human being, and so we all have a narcissistic streak. All of us need reflection. But Gore needed massive reflection, and without it, he was blind. And so he was building this vast empire of Gore Vidal, writing all these books, sending them out into the world in translations. I often felt like I was like a first lieutenant in the Gore Vidal army. What is the dark side of genius? Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's great to have your company this evening. My goal in writing this book has been to look at the angel and monster alike, offering a candid portrait of a gifted, difficult, influential man who remained in the foreground of his times. Gore gave me full access to his life, his letters and papers, and his friends. He told me to say what I saw whenever I wrote about him, not pulling my punches. That is, of course, how he lived his life. I'd like to think he would appreciate my efforts, although I'm not looking forward to our meeting on the other side. So writes the candid Jay Perini in his biography, Empire of Self, The Life of Gore Vidal, published by Doubleday. Well, tonight in Talking Books, we're dedicating the entire show to the life and writings of this hugely complicated and wonderfully messy personality that was Gore Vidal. Arguably one of America's most controversial public intellectuals, a man who famously quipped, after a certain age, lawsuits take the place of sex. Writer, poet and academic Jay Perini met Gore Vidal in the mid-1980s. Their friendship grew and later in the 1990s, Gore appointed Jay as his official biographer. This was a fraught, intense and deeply psychological creative collaboration which lasted until Gore's death in 2012. Perini writes, It will be fair to say, in a crude way, that I was looking for a father, and he seemed in search of a son. We had a good deal in common, including a passion for liberal politics, American history and books, and invariably found we had more to talk about than time allowed. Well, let's get stuck in and meet with the brave and hugely resilient Jay Perini, Gore Vidal's biographer. Hello, Susan. Uh, My name is Jay Perini. I'm an American writer. I write poetry and novels. 
I wrote The Last Station about the final year in the life of Leo Tolstoy, and I've written a lot of biographies. I did uh, biographies of John Steinbeck and Robert Frost and William Faulkner. But this book, which is called Every Time a Friend Succeeds, Something Inside Me Dies, is the life of uh, Gore Vidal, who was a, a good friend of mine for about 30 years. So uh, I'm going to start by reading a little passage from uh, the introduction that talks about um, my um, assignment to write this biography, essentially. Here it goes. In the early 90s, Gore asked me to take over the biography that Walter Clemens was writing, or not writing because of writer's block and diabetes, among other things that seemed to delay Clemens. My wife, perceptively, insisted that I decline, saying that I would have to choose between the biography and my friendship. I couldn't have both. She understood that he would try to control what I wrote at every turn, driving us both insane. So I decided then to write a book that only could be published after his death, a frank yet fond look at a man I admired, even loved, and who had preoccupied me for such a long time. In the mid-90s, I did edit a book about him, enlisting a number of critics to discuss phases of his career. I interviewed him then and frequently in the years that followed, making it clear that one day I would write a book about him. He encouraged this Boswellian vein and would sometimes say, I hope you're writing this down. In fact, I did. And over the years, I interviewed people he knew, such as Anthony Burgess, Graham Greene, Alberto Moravia, Paul Newman, Richard Poirier, Frederick Prokosch, and many others. On several occasions, I interviewed his companion, Howard Austin, a wry and congenial man with a big heart. On one of my last visits with Gore in the Hollywood Hills, he wondered if I would follow through and write this book about him. I said I would. So write the book, he said, and do notice the potholes, but for God's sake, keep your eyes on the main road. In the course of bringing together thinking of nearly three decades about this complicated and gifted man, I've tried to take his advice seriously, emulating Gore himself, a writer who rarely lost sight of the road before him. How much of a psychological game was it putting together this biography? You know, my wife, Devon, said she'd never seen me so exhausted in writing a book. Uh, This book isn't just an academic biography of some writer. This book is 30 years of my life, processing my entire life, but in the context of, of friendship with this strange man who was an angel at times and a monster at other times. I was playing a very tight psychological game as I wrote this book, and I swear to God I sweated at my desk every day wondering, how the hell am I going to talk about this? How honest should I be? And again and again, I simply decided Gore would want me to be ruthless, as he was always ruthless, honest, as he was always honest to a fault. And he once said to me, Jay, when you write this book about me, be frank. If you see a pothole, say there's a pothole. And he said, but don't, for God's sake, lose your sight of the road. Keep to the direction you're going and give the full picture. And boy, that was difficult for me because I was processing so much of my own life, really, in this book. And uh, it, was, it was agony to write. And uh, I don't want to use a cliche here, but I will. It was also, at times, real ecstasy because I felt that I was finally coming to terms with material that was really an absorbing part of my own life. It's as much an autobiography as a biography. Now, your mutual friend in common, John Lair, the theatre critic and writer, also a friend to Gore, said that Gore pissed from a great height. 
How fair a reflection on Gore Vidal's life is that? John Lahr, as you said, is a friend of mine, uh, was absolutely on the mark there. Gore was a terrible, terrible snob. And his criticisms of society, government, were incredibly lofty. Uh, He thought of himself as being a member of the highest echelon of not just American society, but of the world. He thought he was a peer with Princess Margaret, for God's sake. And so when he spoke, he, he sort of did dribble away this sarcasm, and he pissed from an enormous height. I think nothing describes the tone. And tone, remember, is the angle of the speaker toward the material at hand, the attitude. That is exactly how he wrote, from a great height, pissing away. Now, he seems to have been quite a shy man, a hugely suspicious man. You describe him as an angel and a monster. So what was that like? Because you were friends for nearly 30 years. You talked on the phone pretty often, possibly even once a week, sometimes at critical periods, once a day. So it sounds like a very intense relationship, a very demanding relationship. Yeah, I never thought I was going to get into this relationship. You know, it was an accidental thing. I was spending um, a sabbatical year in southern Italy, and quite by chance, uh, we had a villa which was more or less in Gore's garden. And so within the first week, uh, we met. I sent a note, and we met, and we, we were summoned to the great house. And I was overwhelmed by the relationship. He would turn up every afternoon and pound on my doors, knocking, boom, boom, boom. He'd say, Parini, let's have a drink. And we'd walk down the very steep steps beyond my villa to Amalfi. And we'd go over to the Bar Serena, and we'd sit there from 4.30, sometimes until 4.30 in the evening. <laughs> we'd, we, we'd keep drinking. And I never thought I'd be taken by an emotional storm by this man. You know, it wasn't sexual. It wasn't erotic. It was, but it was emotional in a deep sense. And I really often felt myself turned inside out and scoured by him. And 